Coming up, the most active trade deadline in the history of Major League Baseball, highlighted by three former teammates making big splashes with their new clubs. How will they impact the pennant races? And is it time to start worrying? If you're a New York Met fan, the NHL has been wheeling and dealing so far in this free agent offseason. Can we expect the same in the NBA, especially with Kawhi Leonard making himself a free agent? I'll discuss the activity in both sports. Plus, are you ready for some football? As the exhibition season begins on Thursday night, I'll get into a couple of headlines that's making news in the NFL. Also, an Olympic update. Where else are you going to get all these topics and then some on one podcast? Let's get ready to set it off. But first, this message. Hey, everybody. Jay Reels here to share a friendly reminder. If this is your first time getting an opportunity to listen to what it is that I have to say about what's going on in the world of sports, welcome aboard. Or if you've been a longtime listener, not only do I welcome you back, but I want to advise you all to please subscribe, rate, and review the J Reels podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. Of course, this pod is on all platforms. On Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, Player FM, even Amazon Music. I not only host this endeavor, but I independently produce, edit, and write what you read and listen to. So your participation is vital to not only support the podcast, but increase the visibility, fuel the growth and expansion of this platform to those who aren't familiar with it. You could also share the show or a particular episode by posting on social media as well. The purpose of this is quite simple, people. To generate interest to those who aren't aware or know of this podcast, especially the former or current athlete, the broadcaster, blogger, sports writer, studio host, etc., as I want them to share their experience on the field, the court, the press box, broadcast booth, or in the studio with me, so then I can flip that to you guys and gals to deliver top-notch, fast-paced, entertaining, informative, incredible sports talk unlike any other for everyone to listen and enjoy and to keep coming back for more on a week-in, week-out basis. You could also go to my website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. I appreciate you all for your support. Thank you very much for listening and believing in me. I hope you come back for more as your trusted source on everything that's happening in the world of sports. So with that said, the J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Rills Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. Now we can let the dog days begin as we've turned the corner into the month of August. There's plenty of sports talk to dissect. Thanks for stopping by to consume it all, as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me for now 207 episodes, I welcome you guys back. It's a Monday, August the 2nd, in the year of our Lord, 2021. The J Reels What's the Deal segment. What to expect on this podcast is as follows. There's been quite a bit of player movement on the ice, but you've had some familiar faces stick around as free agency headlines the NHL segment. 
I'll get into who went where and what kind of impact will these players have on their new teams. The association will raise the curtain on their free agent period as of 6 p.m. tonight. And the biggest name out there is Kawhi Leonard. He has declined his player option, making him available to test the market. Will he resign with the Clippers as a lot of reports looks like that may be the direction? Or will another team be ready to offer the former two-time NBA champion a mega deal? Plus the Laker blockbuster trade of Russell Westbrook. You don't have to throw in my two cents in regards to that. A recap of the NBA draft. A lot that's going on. The hardwood, which I'll get to. As well as the NFL. The first preseason action kicks off on Thursday. I'll share a couple of signings. Some other notes throughout the league as football season inches that much closer. Could you believe it? Football is just about here. An Olympics update including Simone Biles who as of right now is going to be Part of the beam competition, but we all know last week, worldwide news of her bowing out of the team and also the individual competition in regards to gymnastics because of mental health. I have a lot to say about that, so you know I'm going to share my thoughts in regards to what took place with Simone Biles. All of that, plus my hero and zero of the week. We know that the Major League Baseball trade deadline, for the most part over the years, You do have a flurry. You do have a bunch of small deals. Yeah, once in a while, you'll get that shocker, the Manny Machados, right before the All-Star break. And there have been plenty of players throughout the God knows how many years of the trade deadline. You want to go back to Tom Seaver for the Met fan. You don't want to remember that day. That was just the Midnight Massacre back June 15th, 1977. But I have to say, what took place in the days leading up to Friday, and I know last week I got on the air discussing how the trade deadline was going to be Saturday at 4 p.m., which generally the trade deadline is on July 31st, but because it falls on a weekend, they're going to do it either the day before or next year, considering that July 31st will be on Sunday. The trade deadline, off the top of my head, I think they would push it to Monday, August 1st. If not, they may have it for July the... 29th, which would be Friday of next year, but we're not going to worry about that now. What we're going to worry about are the two teams that had the, not biggest, but the most gigantic impact on this whole scenario, pretty much this 72-hour window, dating back to about last Tuesday when trades really start to get moving and shaking. And the two teams that were at the forefront of all this were the Chicago Cubs and the Washington Nationals. And the Nationals pretty much set it off with the trade going from D.C. to Hollywood where Max Scherzer and Trey Turner go to L.A. for four prospects coming back in return. And we knew about Scherzer last year of his contract. Nationals are going nowhere. You figured that he would make an impact somewhere, whether it would have been in L.A. or rumored to be going to San Francisco Even the Bronx, for that matter, with the Yankees. The Padres also tried to throw their hat in the ring. But it's the Dodgers, who else, who comes out on top to get the pitcher who is going to replace Trevor Bauer for at least the rest of this year because we're not going to see Bauer for the remainder of the 2021 season. That's a foregone conclusion. But with the Dodgers getting another ace to their staff to go along with Clayton Kershaw and obviously Walker Buehler, But the puzzling thing about the trade was Trey Turner because here's a guy that still had one more year left on his deal. Still a very young player, useful player. Obviously a great all-around player as far as defensively, very good hitter, speed. He has the whole package. And why the Nationals are ready to just, I'm not going to say give him away, but to pretty much 
package him in this deal to where you have Juan Soto, another young guy in this team who they're going to have to pay down the road, obviously. But you figure with Soto and Turner there in D.C., granted that they're probably not going to play for a World Series or make a big push this year for the postseason, but you would think in the years to come, those two guys would be pretty much at the top of the lineup for the Nationals, and you could just pretty much build your team around that duo. But they decided to say, the heck with it. Not only are we punting the rest of 2021, but why not get rid of even our second best player in the lineup? So they did that. Very puzzling if you're a National fan. But they also got rid of John Lester as he went to St. Louis. Kyle Schwarber goes north to Boston, who should be in the lineup probably sometime this upcoming week. And they're going to need him considering they got swept by the Rays over the weekend. But the Nationals, as much as them being the big focal point of the trade deadline, also Daniel Hudson goes to San Diego, and just a lot of deals that were made as far as pitchers, relief. You also had another guy like Brad Hand who goes to Toronto, who was part of that bullpen for the Nats. So with the Nationals doing all the wheeling and dealing, the Cubs were not only right behind them, they were pretty much neck and neck and probably went past them considering that they broke up the nucleus of the 2016 World Series team. And a lot of people knew that this was going to come if the Cubs did not have a very good season. And even if they were having a very good season, it would have been tough for Jed Hoyer to pull the trigger on some of these deals to a lot of fan favorites and making that one last push to a playoff. And as it was with the way the season was unfolding, they figured the heck with it. Let's just start purging our players and seeing what we could get back to have a rebuild in store. So the only players left, and there's still quite a few. It's not as if the whole team was blown up. It's not as if there's only one or two leftovers from the championship team of five years ago. But when you look at a guy like Javier Baez, who came to the Mets, and I'll talk a little bit more about that deal later. You also had Anthony Rizzo traded to the Yankees. They also bring in Joey Gallo from Texas. So now there's a little bit more balance in that Yankee lineup where you have two left-handed bats, power bats at that, where they could lengthen and not only that, but also give the lineup a little bit of uh, an identity as opposed to just strictly right-handed power hitters. And yes, we all know that the Yankee offense has had the identity for the last few years, but when you're right-handed dominant and you're not able to get big hits and you strike out a lot, You're just that power team that looks for the home run and not looking for the clutch hit. So you had that. Chris Bryant goes to San Francisco and you plug him in there. Those three guys making dividends right off the bat where Rizzo in his first three games as a Yankee was five for nine, two home runs in the first two games over the weekend in Miami. Javier Baez with a big home run there on Saturday night, down 4-1, gets his team closer to 4-3 and then they pull out the game in extra innings. And then yesterday, Brian hitting a home run, San Francisco, as the Giants continue to march along the top of the National League West, as the Dodgers, of course, making their moves, and San Diego, which now could be in a little bit of trouble, and I'll explain why later. But with all these moves that were made, you wonder whether or not these pieces that have been plugged in are going to take these teams to the next level. And what I mean by that is when we've talked about it for weeks on end, if you listen to the podcast, especially since the All-Star break, about what players were going to separate the pretenders and the contenders. And now that we have the whole landscape ahead of us, remember there are no waiver deals from August 1st to August 31st, which was in the past. 
Obviously, that's not going to happen, which made this trade deadline not only the most fascinating, but probably the most active, and especially with all the stars that I mentioned. And I haven't even mentioned some of the other trades that were made, whether your name is Sterling Marte going from Miami to Oakland, Eduardo Escobar, arguably the Arizona Diamondbacks' best player. I know there's some that will say uh, Kettle Marte is a guy that's probably the Diamondbacks' best player, but Escobar had 22 home runs, had a big season there for the D-backs. He goes to Milwaukee. You also look at the trade from Toronto, where not only did they get Brad Hand, but they also got Jose Berrios from Minnesota. And we could go through all those little deals. I know the Dodgers even some more reinforcements for their rotation with Danny Duffy, the lefty from Kansas City, who is pretty much one of the last mainstays, along with Salvador Perez of the World Series team from 2015. But all these little trades, Kendall Graveman, which I know seemed controversial to the Mariner fan, him going to Houston, and they also bring in Rafael Montero in the process. A lot of these small trades that were made and by the teams that we thought, whether it would be the Seattles of the world, even the Phillies, I know the also the Braves have made some moves here over the last few days, but none are going to be bigger than the top names and I'll quickly breeze through them to see what kind of impact they're going to have now and will they be on the team moving forward and the first one I'll get into because it's a local fair is Javier Baez Baez is a guy that was an MVP runner-up a couple of years back we all know how dynamic he is on the field at the plate he's a free swinger he's a 240 hitter I get it that he now has 23 home runs and he does have power and is electric not only in the field, but also at the plate because he does have a quick bat. Could be a little bit more disciplined. But he is pretty much a fill-in until Francisco Lindor comes back. And you know the relationship that they both have going back to their days playing in Puerto Rico. You also have Thomas Nito, another guy who was close with Baez going even way back to when they were teenagers. Also, Edwin Diaz living on the island, being part of that fabric of baseball players. So you have that continuity with those guys. And it's good for the team to not only bring a guy that's pretty much at right now is much better than Lindor. You got to face it because Lindor's just had a nightmare season. And it's interesting because I compare Lindor's first season in New York similar to Carlos Beltran's first season in New York. Talk about from one Puerto Rican to another. Remember Beltran, when he signed that seven-year, $119 million deal, he hit about 260, 15 home runs, 79 RBIs, and did not produce offensively the way a lot of people expected him to do. And then now you bring in Lindor, a guy whose numbers aren't as prodigious as Beltran's throughout the course of his career, but he has hit 30 home runs, he has been in the mix as far as MVP voting, and of course, top 10 player in the sport. And this year, you have not seen that, although prior to the oblique, he had been hitting better, and it seemed as if he was on the rise. But when you're batting 220, Four months into a season, it's not as if you're going to go up to about 260, 270. You're pretty much going to be anywhere between 220, and if you even hit 250, you would probably call that a success. But when you look at Lindor, his stature in the league, obviously the big money that he signed for, he certainly has underperformed here in his first season in New York. But now with Baez here, and you also have to look at the future if Lindor does come back, and he's going to be at short, you're going to move Bias to second, and you'll have a double play combination for the ages. But is that going to be enough for this Met team to get themselves not only into a postseason, but 
in an NL East, which is going to be very competitive down the stretch. And I'm going to get into a little bit more about the Mets at the tail end of the baseball segment because I have a little State of the Union as the diehard Mets fan that you know to discuss what's going on here. And not only that, am I concerned? I'm going to say I'm a little bit worried. And I'll share that with you later on. But I think Baez is going to make some instant dividends and pay batting. But I think for the short term, Baez is going to provide not only a spark, also bring some charisma, maybe a little bit of flair, as well as some swag, which will be missing with Lindor out. And we'll just hope that he performs well at the plate. You know he's going to do well in the field. And let's see if he could not necessarily carry this team, but maybe be the guy that adds some oxygen to the lungs of this Met team and especially this offense, which has been non-existent here for God knows how long. Now, I'm going to go to the Yankees real quick because I did not like the Gallo trade. I understand why they did it because they needed a left-handed bat. And although he's a good right fielder, but at the plate, he's Adam Dunn. Uh, Let's face it. He's a guy that walks a lot. He could get on base, but he's a home run Strike out or walk every time up. Or so it seems. And I get it. They needed some presence. They needed a left-handed bat. But to me, Rizzo was the guy. And I mentioned this a few days ago. Not because of his exploits over the weekend. But when you bring in a guy who could play first base. Left-handed, as we know. And on top of that, brings in a championship pedigree. To the other guys in the locker room who have not even sniffed anywhere close. Alright, you want to say his teammate of the Cubs at the time in 2016 in Aroldis Chapman. All right, you could certainly make that argument, but Chapman's not going to be the guy that's going to rally the team and kind of drag them through the fire in certain parts of a season where you're going through a losing streak or even worse, if you get into a postseason and you're down two games to one in an elimination game in a division series, you have a guy in Rizzo that although he's going to be here pretty much for two and a half months, and I don't know if they're going to resign him long-term, But you have to wonder whether or not his presence, his pedigree is going to be enough to stoke the fire of this Yankee team that has pretty much been a dead team walking since the start of the year. And that's why you love this deal. Because we know Rizzo, although he's not a superstar player, although he's not in the ilk of a lot of the top players in the sport, but you know what you're getting with Rizzo. You're getting a guy who's going to be consistent, a guy who's going to be steady, not only on the field, but in the locker room. And that could be the ingredient that the Yankees are missing in order for them to get to the next level, which is to make it to a World Series after failing to make it for the last 12 years. So we'll see what happens with the Yankees there. Now, as far as the other deals that were made, Chris Bryant, you think he's going to make a contribution. He already has done so from the start. The Giants, they had to do something because with... Scherzer being imported from Washington and knowing that the Giants couldn't sit still, although they've beaten the Dodgers here over the last two weeks, beating them three out of four at Chavez Ravine and then two out of three last week up in the Bay. Not only do they want to put some distance between them and the Dodgers, but of course they got to keep up with the Joneses because now Mookie Betts is back in the lineup and it looks like he's going to be raring to go for these last couple of months. And with the Giants, they have to have the pedal on the metal here because this is, I'm not going to say uncharted territory because you do have guys that are in that locker room that have won the Brandon Belts of the world, the Brandon Crawfords, obviously the Buster Poseys and guys like that. But the Giants, 
you would think that they're not going to fall out or even slack here because when a team plays this good for this long, unless they're just decimated by injuries, you would think they're going to make it to the finish line. And by that, October and playing in a postseason. And as for the other pieces, how they're going to play out, certainly remains to be seen what the left-handed batter Kyle Schwarber will do in that Red Sox lineup. And with his health, we know that he was on the shelf there where he had that just torrid streak of, what, 16 home runs in the month of June. And then he came down with an injury early in July, but the Red Sox are banking on him to come back and be stronger than ever to get them down the stretch and push them into the postseason, whether by division crown or even a wild card. You also look at Toronto, although they're still a few games back in the wild card, and now with the way things have folded, they're back at home, up north of the border at the Rogers Center. You would think maybe there'll be a little juice. And not only that, just a spark of energy from the fan base, from familiar surroundings, and bringing in a guy like Berrios, who has pitched in, I'm not going to say pressure-packed games, but has been in the postseason with the Twins the last couple of years. And then also bringing in Brad Hand, a lefty reliever who probably needed to change the scenery. Here was a guy that was an all-star a couple of years back with the Indians, but never really materialized, whether it was with the Padres, whether it was with the... And then now here in this one year with the Nats, not playing in big games, he'll get an opportunity to be a part of a pennant race, not only in the American League East, but also for the wild card. So we'll see how those two in particular pan out as we look more so locally, obviously, with the Yankees being in the race themselves. But we're going to see. And then Scherzer, you think he's going to be Scherzer. I mean, why would he be anything different? And Turner, we know that he could perform on a high level. And remember, Corey Seager hasn't come back. He's a guy that's going to be a free agent after this year. So it was smart by the Dodgers to bring in Turner. I don't know if they coerced Mike Rizzo, the GM of the Nationals, to have Turner be part of that trade. Who knows? But... With Turner there, and he just provides another offensive outlet, another catalyst at the top of the lineup to go with Mookie Betts, to go along, obviously, Justin Turner, and the lineup there that the Dodgers, day in and day out, will fill under Dave Roberts. So now that the dust is settled, and we can look ahead to the last couple of months here of a baseball season, as we take a look at the land of Major League Baseball and also one other player that I forgot part of that Chicago Cub purge was a player that was sent from the north to the south side of Chicago was Craig Kimbrell and the White Sox bringing in more arms they also bring in Tyler Anderson from the Pirates so they're looking to really make a push this year under Tony La Russa as we've seen and we know about Eloy Jimenez coming back and already flexing his muscles so far after being out for the first four months with the torn pectoral muscle but when we take a look here and has much changed since last week or even the week before or even the week before that well we do know that the Tampa Bay Rays have put themselves atop the American League East with a sweep over the Red Sox down in Tampa over the weekend and the Rays as we've seen time after time as resourceful as can be and it's amazing They traded for Nelson Cruz a week ago, which was a smart move. But then they also, in the process, they traded Rich Hill, which we talked about, to the Mets. They also traded Diego Castillo, one of their closers. And we all know it's pretty much a bullpen by committee with the Rays. But they sent him to Seattle. And that's part of the reason why when Seattle traded Graveman and 
a lot of the moves that they made because now they put Castillo as the closer for the Mariners. But here they are trading more players than they're bringing in. And they are 22 games over 500. They have a two-game in the loss over the Red Sox and one and a half ahead of them right now in the division. And this came off the heels of not only losing two or three to the Yankees, but they were able to get that two-touchdown victory there on Thursday, which propelled them into the three-game sweep over the weekend. And with the Rays, as I said, resourceful as they could be, and you wonder, are they just pretty much getting warmed up or getting started or maybe even kick-started now as they get through the last couple of months of this baseball season? Now, mind you, Tyler Glass now is going to be gone. It's official. He's going to be out for the remainder of the season and obviously into next season. But as I said, the Rays will just plug in another guy or plug in another opener and have a bullpen by committee, and they're pretty much going to be in the thick of this thing, not only for the rest of this pennant race, but I'm sure into October. And then you have the Yankees, where last week, I understand a lot of people may have looked at what I said and thought I was probably off my rocker. Oh, why should the Yankees sell? Jay Reels, you don't know what you're talking about. Meanwhile, here you are following this Yankee team up close, and you want to trade Gleyber Torres, you want to trade Gary Sanchez, you want to trade even Aaron Judge. Well, I'm not trying to say they had to do it all in one fell swoop, but you would think with the way the team is performing, and even though they were three and a half back of the wild card, and nobody said that they had to trade all these guys. But if they would have traded one of these guys to get something good in return, think back to the 2016 year when they got rid of Aroldis Chapman and Andrew Miller and what they brought back. And even though they pretty much conceded and put up the white flag, but they were in the pennant race into August and September of that year. Of course, they didn't make it to the postseason, which was the last year they did not qualify for the playoffs. But even if they would have traded one of those aforementioned players to bring back that lefty bat, to bring back maybe not a stud starting pitcher, but a very solid two to your rotation because the Yankee rotation right now, other than Garrett Cole, listen, it's still dicey. I don't care what you want to make of what you saw over the weekend in Miami. And that's the other thing too, because with an underbelly of the schedule for the Bombers, as they're going to play the Baltimore Orioles starting tonight for, I believe, three games. And then you have Seattle coming in. All right, that's going to be, you would think, a competitive series, but they're going to come east. And the Yankees will probably beat up on them. They also have the Royals in the near future. They're also going to play the Twins later on this month. So they are going to be fat cats here. And you would think that they would put themselves maybe not even just in a wild card for the number two, but maybe even try to threaten the Rays for first place in the division. Still a long way to go. But the one thing I worry about the Yanks, even with these trades, is twofold. One, like I mentioned, the pitching is still not good. I understand Jameson Tyon has pitched better and Domingo Herman, also Jordan Montgomery, these guys. All right, fine. But... Let's get down to the home stretch. Let's get into September and dare I even say October and plug these guys in for big starts. Are you going to be sitting at home watching these games feeling 100% confident that these guys are going to be able to give you five, hopefully six innings before you turn it over to the bullpen? That's highly dubious. And then the other thing is, is that granted, they did win the three games in Miami, but there were 3-1, 4-2, and 3-1. You know, it's not as if they went down there and they lit the ballpark on fire other than Anthony Rizzo, 
where there were home runs all over the lot, whether they were scoring in bunches, whether they just pretty much... And granted, Miami does have a very good pitching staff and bullpen, but yeah, you beat who you beat and you win and you never throw the wins back. But did you come away from those games in Miami thinking that, all right, I think now we got our team together. I'm feeling confident. I'm feeling good. Yes, bring on the Orioles, bring on the Royals, bring on the Twins. Okay, you could say that, but it's still the same old Yankee team. Nothing much has really changed here. And we all know you're not going to go deep into October if your pitching staff is made up of the players that I mentioned. And let's see if Rizzo can continue his torrid streak, which you know it's going to die down, but at the same time, you do have to wonder whether or not that these guys, in particular Gallo and Rizzo, are the panacea for all the Yankees' ills. I'll say for the time being, yes. And I say maybe even for the rest of the season, in particular Rizzo, okay. But is this going to guarantee the Yankees a postseason berth or even a trip to the World Series? Oh, please. You can't even think that. So that's what we got there with the AL East. You can forget about the Central. The White Sox, they could pretty much just give them the Central crown. And then with the Indians... I know you had the scenario where Terry Francona stepped down for the rest of this year to check on his health, which has not been good over the years. So you have DeMarlo Hales going to be the interim for the rest of the year. So the Indians, they're pretty much just treading water until the end. And then the White Sox, I know you had the one kid the other day as a rookie hit his first three home runs in the major leagues in one game, which is the first time that's happened in baseball history. And, and that's kind of a quirky stat when you think about it. But the rookie, Sebi Savala, three home runs in one game, and to think, what is it, 126 years, no, 151 years in Major League Baseball history, not one person has done it? Well, what a weird year for the White Sox in that regard. Remember, Yermin Mercedes came in, he had all those home runs in his first, what he had, like five home runs in his first five at-bats or whatever it was, something crazy. Maybe not to that extent, but he hit a ton of home runs early on and pretty much looked like he was going to be the replacement for Eloy Jimenez, and then Luis Robert went out, and then you had a scenario where Mercedes then retired for a day until he came back, and then now you had Savali, you plug this guy in, and he hits three home runs. So that's the White Sox for you here in 2021 as they continue to mash and kill the AL Central opponents. And then out west, it looks like Houston is going to pretty much, I'm not going to say cruise through the division title. They are five games and a loss, four and a half ahead of the A's right now. And the Mariners have slipped just a little bit here, but Houston, you think they're going to be in prime position and get themselves ready for a long, deep October in which they're hoping for. And think, the last few years, they've had nothing but that. Granted, 2018, they lost in the championship series to the Red Sox. But remember, 2017, we all know World Series. 2019, we all know World Series. Last year, they were down 0-3 in the championship series before pushing it to a Game 7 and losing to the Rays. So why would this be any different? We'll see how it all plays out, but that's your American League. And then in the National League, the Brewers, you would think that they're going to be sitting pretty there at the top of the Central unless they start to get a couple of hiccups along the way with some injuries or just some bad performances, but the Brewers should be fine. We've talked about what's happening out West with the Giants. I mean, think about this. The Giants are 27 games above 500 and currently have the best record in baseball. I mean, who saw that coming? And this is a Giant team that has the aging veterans that I mentioned who have been part of those World Series teams before, but the starting rotation, I mean, these are guys that have just come out of nowhere, especially in particular Kevin Gossman, the former Oriole, who was an All-Star this year, 
when you have him coming out of nowhere and putting up the numbers he has, you know you're having a special season all around. And this is minus Evan Longoria, another guy aging who was hurt. And that's why you got Bryant there. But you know you can also put Bryant in the outfield if necessary. So he's very versatile in that regard. But the Giants are certainly in good shape right now. Four in a loss, three ahead of the Dodgers in the NL West. And then you have the Dodgers that we've talked about. And then the Padres, who are eight back in the division, six and a half as far as overall. And the Padres have hit a speed bump here because Fernando Tatis partially dislocated his left shoulder for the third time this year. And he's on the 10-day IL. And although he's come back and he's still performed at his usual top talent self, but now there could be a possible discussion of surgery on the table. Obviously, it's been painful, and I'm sure Tatis Jr. is probably going to gut it out until the remainder of this year, but at the same time, with surgery being on the table, that means that his season will be cut short if they opt to go that route. And we all know that the Padres are going to need him to be of any business of going deep into the hunt for red October because without him and yes I understand you do have other guys in the lineup you do have Manny Machado you do have Eric Hosmer Jake Cronenworth understood no problem but Tatis he's the guy the face head and shoulders of the organization right now and without him not only will it be a hit for baseball but most definitely for the Padres chances of making it to the World Series so that's something that we got to keep an eye out for and then the National League East with the Mets, Phillies, Braves. The Phillies, they made some small moves here. Same with the Braves. And knowing that they're, both teams are under 500, but they're still within striking distance, even the Nationals for that matter when you think about it, because they're six and a half back, even with all the trades that have been made, there's no way that you would think they're going to be in the race. But with the Phillies and Braves hanging around, this is what makes me as the Met fan a little worried. Now, granted, they've been in first place now going on three months. I believe since May 6th, they've been at the very top of the division. But when you look at what has taken place here, and forget about the Lindor injury, bringing in Baez, that's your reinforcement, understood. But there are three issues with this team right now. The first being the pitching, and we all know that if you're not going to get Jacob DeGrom back here at any point, This could be a season where not only do you not make it to the playoffs, but you may be on the outside looking in, and then it ends up being disastrous. And now, with the latest setback of Jacob DeGrom, where he's not going to throw for two more weeks, you're probably not going to see him until September, which I guess would be a good thing, but we'd only be good if we know that he's going to be 100% healthy from there on out. Because, I'll say this, I'm not going to expect the Jacob DeGrom that we saw in April and May, I would think he's going to be something close to that. But are we only going to get five innings out of this guy? Are we going to get six innings? And this is what I mean. I understand that five or six innings of Jacob DeGrom is still better than 100% of a lot of guys. But if you're trying to get the brass ring, if your destination into October is to make it as an NL representative for the Fall Classic, Not having number 48 on the mound, it's going to be next to impossible for them to make it. Postseason, all right, they may make the playoffs, partly because of a terrible division. You've watched how the division's unfolded the whole year. It's been terrible. But without the Grom, forget it. 
And Taiwan Walker's falling off a cliff here. His ERA was under two heading into June. And since then, I think it's got to be like six because his ERA is almost four right now. And he hasn't been well. Marcus Stroman, he's been up and down, in and out, did not pitch well yesterday. And even though the two outings prior where he had the great eight inning, one hit, eight strikeout performance against the Reds, but since then has not pitched well. In fact, the Mets' best pitcher here over the last month or so is pitching tonight in Miami in Tyler McGill. He's been your guy. Everybody else has been hit or miss, and it's been more miss than hit. So that's number one. Number two is this offense. Uh, Can we get some runs here, please? And I'm not trying to say that this is a juggernaut offense. I'm not trying to say that this team should be scoring five runs a game in their sleep. Other than Alonzo and then Jeff McNeil as of late, what has this team done? Conforto's been in, and I know he was hurt early in the year. I get it. But he's been in a season-long slumber. J.D. Davis has been more out of the lineup than in. And when he's in, he hits, but... He's nowhere to be found. Dom Smith has been okay. He had to clutch it the other night in order to avoid a sweep of the Reds on Saturday night. He's been okay, but he's batting 250. James McCann, he's up his average a little bit, but he's not scaring opposing pitchers on the mound. And this team that was supposed to be a good offensive team has been anything but, especially over the last month. And when are they expected to turn it around? I've talked about Lindor batting 220, and we haven't seen him for a couple of weeks. And that's why Baez, although his bat is going to be key in the lineup, but he's not a guy that's going to be A, getting on base, or a guy that's going to be disciplined at the plate. This guy's going to swing until he falls out of his shoes. So the Met offense needs to wake up here because the pitcher can't do it every night. And then lastly, have you looked at the Met schedule, especially over the next three weeks? So they have Miami for four here before going to Philadelphia for three and that's going to be a huge series. They they minimum need to win two games. They can't leave Philadelphia losing a game in the standings or even worse, get swept in all three. Then the following weekend, they host the Dodgers at City Field which begins a 13-game stretch to where they're only playing the Dodgers or the Giants. So after those three games at City Field, they go to San Francisco for three, followed by four in LA, and after an off day where they come home, they play three against San Francisco. And we just talked about how San Francisco's been the best team in the sport all year, and we know the Dodgers are the Dodgers. So those 16 games, and in between the Phillies and the Dodgers, they come home to play the Nationals, which, you know, the Nationals are going to fight. They're a division opponent. They're not going just to roll off and meekly into the night or in the afternoon when they play those three games during the middle of the week. So you know they're going to battle. But take those three games aside, 16-19 to or Phillies, Dodgers, Giants. That's a big stretch. And especially when you don't have your top pitcher, especially when your offense has been pretty much in a sleeper hold for the last month, you got to wonder, whether or not this team's going to make it out of August in first place or even part of the division mix. Now, granted, Philly and Atlanta, they've stubbed their toes. They've been stumbling, bumbling, fumbling all year. But even with the Mets playing under 500 over the last, I think, 47 games or so, I think they're 23 and 24, they've only lost a game in the standings. 
But you can't continue to play that way and think that you're going to just be penciled in as the National League East representative come October 1st. So the Mets got to get it together here. And that's what you have here in baseball to kind of push us into August and we'll see how these players perform down the stretch, deep into the pennant races and what kind of impact they'll have here as we fasten our seatbelts and get ready for the last 60 game or even less than that now push till we get to October and start a postseason which will be here in a blink of an eye. All right, now I'm going to turn my attention to the NBA here. I know the NHL free agency has been big with a lot of signings and even one which was rejected by the new team, the Seattle Kraken, by the league as far as voiding a particular contract, which I'll get into. But the last few days for the NBA, whether you had the draft there on Thursday, no surprise, Kate Cunningham, number one pick overall going to Detroit. Houston, Jalen Green, as we talked about, the G League player that a lot of people thought could be the best player in the draft. Then you had Jalen Suggs there going to Cleveland, Evan Mobley there, Toronto. And a lot of this draft, as I said last week, wasn't really one that after the first few players, it was pretty much wide open. Unlike years past, especially last year, we all know where the season ended in October and then you had the draft right after that. You didn't get to see a lot of these college players perform during the tournament due to COVID and not a lot of the buzz or the training camp, not necessarily training camp, but a lot of the combine stuff that you normally hear prior to the start of the draft where guys are moving up the draft board or certain guys have come out of nowhere, whether it be overseas or a G League player. The draft didn't really have a lot of intrigue, if you ask me. And yes, there were a bunch of trades that were made. OKC was wheeling and dealing yet again to where they got another number one pick. And here's the one thing, although you understand what Oklahoma City's doing here, and they have stockpiled, forget about a chest, they stockpiled an actual fortress of number one picks from now until kingdom come. But here's the problem with that. All you got to do is just look at the Celtic blueprint over the years, and granted that they got lucky with the trade Billy King, Pierce, Garnett to... Brooklyn, where they were able to not only get the number one picks, but also flip-flop one year to where they got not only Jalen Brown, but also Jason Tatum. And you would think that OKC is going to be near the top of the lottery every year. You would figure they're going to draft probably between one and five. But even still, we all know that unless you're going to get that generational star, unless you're going to get that top talent that's going to come out and be instant and immediate as far as impact goes on your team. You could get all these top picks, but if you're going to fall five, six, eight, nine, and if your team improves over the years, you may have a situation where a lot of these number one picks don't even pan out. And I hate to say it, even the Celtics after the scenario with Brown and Tatum, which is once in a lifetime, let's face it. But if you happen to fall lower than five, And although Sam Presti, who's done a magnificent job since being the GM of the Thunder going way back to the early part of the Thunder franchise when they moved from Seattle, but stockpiling these number one picks are great, but you only hope that the talent comes out and good talent at that. 
So we'll see how that works out for OKC. And what I meant by that was that they got Utah's number one pick. They also brought back Derek Favors. So there's a guy that's on the last year of his deal. I'm sure they're going to be able to trade him off at some point, whether it be before the start of the year or obviously build up a little bit of his stock, even though everybody knows what kind of player Derek Favors is. He's a power forward. Yes, he could rebound and score a little bit, but him being a number three pick overall many years ago, he has not panned out to be that type of guy where you're going to plug him in and he's going to be either instant offense or certainly put your team over the top, whether it's getting into the postseason or even winning a title. But the big deal last week was Russell Westbrook on the night of the draft where the Wizards traded Westbrook to L.A. So he goes back to his, not only his home state, hometown, played college at UCLA, as we all know, for Kyle Kuzma, KCP, of course, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Montrezl Harrell, and their first-round pick this past year, the number 22 overall. Now, I'm sure you've heard in many circles, I posted this the other day because I had to on my Instagram account, the J Reels Podcast, for those who are wondering. You have to wonder whether or not this is going to work. You would think Russ is going to be on his best behavior, especially going in. He knows that he could probably sniff a title right now, and this is the one thing that's eluded him throughout his NBA career. But you have to throw out an over-under number as to when the honeymoon will be over. Is it going to be... Six months, is it going to be the whole year? Is it going to be on his best behavior? You know he's going to do whatever it takes, but as we've said time after time after time after time, Russell Westbrook in the fourth quarter is not the guy that you want to put the basketball in his hands to make a big shot, a clutch shot, or worse, you see him make the poor turnover than him making the, either the big mid-range basket or the drive to the hoop. He's more the former than the latter. And on a team where you obviously have LeBron James, where I'm sure LeBron is going to be with open arms with Russell Westbrook as maybe Russ will have the ball more often than LeBron will. That definitely remains to be seen. And then Anthony Davis, the younger stud on this team where you know he's going to want some touches and have his fingerprints all over the final few minutes of a basketball game. But for Westbrook, he's really going to have to control his enthusiasm, not saying he has to curb his passion, his desire, and his just freakish athletic ability on a 94-foot surface of hardwood. But in order for the Lakers to win that title, he's going to have to reel it in a little bit in order for them to get back to the NBA mountaintop and win a title. And if Westbrook doesn't do that, they're not going to do a period. If you're a Laker fan, of course, you're going to like the trade. And it's going to make sense a little bit. But I just think this is going to be a bad fit also. May not be a bad fit the first month. Certainly not in training camp. When the Lakers start off, whatever, 22-6. and And everything is great in the world and rosy, etc. But if you do get a LeBron injury or even an AD injury. Or if Russell Westbrook shoots one for eight in the fourth quarter. They're in March where they're trying to position themselves for a number one seed. And maybe they got a little bit of rumblings inside the locker room. I'm not going to say it's going to happen, but would you be surprised if that doesn't surface at some point? And that's why we've seen it going back to his days of Oklahoma City where he and Kevin Durant now, again, maybe not to the magnitude that we saw when 
Westbrook was a member of the Rockets after one year, and you knew that wasn't going to work. With James Harden, two ball-dominant guards on the same team, never. And we know LeBron, as much as he brings the ball up, you would think he's going to relinquish some, if not most of the ball-handling chances over to Westbrook. It's going to be fascinating from that regard. And here we go, another big three, super team, etc. Is it going to work? We all know, just like anything in life, it remains to be seen. But with the reputation of Westbrook, and unless he dials it back a little bit, I can't see this working. And what I mean by working, them winning a title. So, plenty of time between now and then before we even really get into it. But right now, on the outside looking in, that's how I see it. And then you have Kawhi Leonard, who last night decided to opt out $36 million, as well as Chris Paul. I'll throw him in the mix as well. But to me, this is more about Kawhi Leonard. And now you got to wonder whether you're Pat Riley in Miami, whether you're maybe even Mark Cuban in Dallas, which I know that wouldn't be a good fit too because he and Luka pretty much play the same position. But whomever wants to have the opportunity to sit across from Kawhi Leonard and his representation, the one thing you have to ask yourself is, Kawhi, are you fully committed? And we know that he's going to dictate where he wants to go, whether he's going to stay at a place for two years with an opt-out. As it is, a lot of the reports think that he's going to resign a four-year, $172 million deal with the Clippers. But there have also been reports where he'll sign another one-and-one to where after next year, he could get the Supermax five for, I think, 200 and whatever it is, $34 million. But if you're Kawhi Leonard, you're getting up there in age, you've had all the maintenance issues, when it comes to load management throughout the last few years and for any team outside of the Clippers to go ahead and want to pay that type of coin for a guy who's going to play 55 games a year. Also, yeah, he'll play into a postseason and he's going to give you all he's got. But then now he comes down with this ACL injury that he suffered in the series against the Utah Jazz. So are you going to get some damaged goods? Going into next year, and even if he does sign a long-term deal, are you really going to put all your faith, stock, and trust into Kawhi Leonard, knowing that he has an injury history that would certainly warrant a lot of concern, and having to deal with the load management, the back-to-backs, the games where you know he's going to sit out and not perform, and you're going to have to deal with that baggage as well? Part of that has to go back to his old coach and Greg Popovich. He's the one that started this whole mess. But yeah, is he going to be trustworthy if you're Steve Ballmer, if you're Mickey Arison down in Miami, Mark Cuban there, I say? I tell you, that is a roll of the dice that I don't know if even if I was an owner that I'd be willing to take. Because granted that he has the hardware, granted that he has the rings on his finger, but I'd still be leery. I just don't like a guy who's just going to want to sit out and then now having this knee injury that he's, I would think, rehabbing as we speak. You also have that layer to put on top of the cake in order for you to sign his checks in upwards of about 35 to $40 million a year. I'd be super leery. 
And with Chris Paul, you would think he's going to resign there with the Suns. Obviously, they had the great year. We don't have to get into all the specifics, but I'd be shocked if he goes somewhere else. I don't know if the Knicks are going to try to swoop in and see if they could pry Chris Paul away from the Suns. And I don't think that'd be a good move for the Knicks either. Why are you going to give an aging point guard? I don't care how good he's been and how he performed here in this postseason. You can't do it if you're the Knicks. Sorry. I'm, that would be a typical Knicks move. Although they've trended in the opposite direction as far as building it the right way over the last few years under Scott Perry, Leon Rose, Worldwide West, etc. But I wouldn't do it if you're the Knickerbockers. Now, you had some other players that are out there. I know DeMar DeRozan's a guy that could tickle someone's fancy. Kyle Lowry, there's been a lot of reports about him maybe going to Miami. Where Goran Dragic, though you have a sign and trade deal maybe going there with him in Toronto. And they let go of Andre Iguodala. No surprise there. I know the Celtics just made a trade for Josh Richardson. Let's see if he can rejuvenate some of that career. The former Miami Heat player himself. Where they could use some more perimeter shooting. If you're the Celtics and they traded Tristan Thompson away. But the NBA right now, you would think, even with everything that's going to probably take place over the next few hours, and I'm sure by the time you listen to this, the free agent period will already begin and you're going to have some signings. Unlike years past where you had a lot better class coming out as far as free agents go. But the big saga this summer is going to be Ben Simmons and where he goes. And even a lot of the early rumors of him going to Portland for Damian Lillard, who knows if that comes to fruition, but Simmons is going to be all over the NBA map here, going to several different places. And you would think Dallas will probably be in the mix, considering they're having the issues with Chris Porzingis. but you know, you can't, you wouldn't even think if you're Daryl Morey, the GM, you're not bringing that headache back. And you can't have Porzingis line up next to Joel Embiid in the starting lineup. That just, that's impossible. So Simmons is going to be the guy that everybody's going to look at as to where he's going to go and let the rumor mill begin. I'm ready. Let's see what happens as the, similar to baseball, NFL doesn't really, well, the NFL as far as free agency, that's king, that's number one. Baseball has fallen by the wayside a little bit unless you have a lot of interesting players coming out as you did a few years ago, but you saw what happened there where Manny Machado and Bryce Harper, they didn't sign until pretty much the eve of spring training. So even baseball's lost its luster. But the NBA is pretty much second in line to the NFL when it comes to free agents. So we'll see how that all shakes down in the days and you would think week and a couple of weeks to come. And then with the NHL, you had a lot of buzz as far as free agents go. I know the one big deal was Seattle not taking Carey Price, the goaltender from Montreal. And you kind of wondered why didn't they go that route? You would think bringing him to the Pacific Northwest, you have a guy that you could look at, although aging, but still very good, made it to a cup final this past year, how Seattle could use that type of guy to jumpstart their franchise going into the 2021-2022 season, but they passed, and they had a guy in mind, or a guy in hand, and a one, Philippe Grubauer, the goaltender for Colorado, and they signed him to a six-year, $35 million deal, but the... League voided the contract, noting that the violations did not require the front-loading aspect of what Colorado, and I don't know the particulars, that wasn't 
released. But because they front-loaded a lot of that contract, it went against the rules of the league. So the violation voided that. So they're pretty much back to square one unless they're reworking the contract. Who knows? Grubauer, I believe, is still a free agent at this very minute. So does Seattle go back to the drawing board or has another team come in and sign the services of the former Avalanche goaltender? We'll still have to wait and see. But you had another former teammate of his in Colorado, Brandon Saad. He signed with the St. Louis Blues and that made sense only because with the Avalanche signing Kale McCarr last week, the young defenseman, and then also the captain that they re-upped in a one, Gabriel Landeskog, which they had to do. You figure one of those two guys were going to go, whether it would be Saad or Landeskog. You knew Landeskog was going to stay considering he is the captain of the team. So Colorado fortifies their team in that regard, but they do lose Saad and obviously the goaltender. We'll see where they go to get a replacement. And speaking of goaltenders, a little bit of controversy where Vegas traded Marc-Andre Fleury to Chicago. He even contemplated retirement. And that was a writing on the wall type of deal because when the Golden Knights traded for Robin Leonard and they signed him to a long-term deal, you knew that Fleury was going to be on his way out. But Fleury decided to go to Chicago. You would think they're going to be reinvigorated a little bit. Not only with Jonathan Taze on the mend and likely to start the season in a Blackhawk uniform. Remember, he did not play for the Blackhawks this year because of this undisclosed illness that he had. But you pair him with Patrick Taze, and even though Duncan Keith is now gone, and you had a couple other players, Brent Seabrook, retire, but maybe they're going to give it one last go with this aging group. And even though they have the pedigree and they know what it takes to win, But with a Western Conference that has Colorado, that has Vegas, two teams that you know will be near the top of the charts when it comes to who will represent the West in the Stanley Cup. Let's see if Chicago has enough gas in the tank to even push that. I'd say no, but with Fleury there, who knows? Maybe a little bit of a boost for a team that has fallen on some hard times ever since they won that last Cup six years ago. Now, another face that has stayed around Besides Landeskog is also Braden Point down in Tampa. They signed him to a big eight-year, $76 million deal. Now remember, they lost Yanni Gord in the expansion draft. David Savard, the defenseman, went to Montreal. So he's playing against the Stanley Cup opponent. Blake Coleman went to Calgary. And even though they brought back Zach Bogosian, who was on that first Stanley Cup team going back to last September, but the Tampa Bay Lightning have made some moves, whether it's letting go some of their key lunch pail type guys but they do bring back point which was no shock there he's a guy that was just dominant in this postseason had a game or series a stretch where he had nine straight games where he scored a goal and the lightning fortified their core group by bringing him back you also had the devil sign dougie hamilton the defenseman there from carolina a big deal there seven years 63 million dollars you also had a bruin player who was part of that championship team 10 years ago and part of the core to go along with Patrice Bergeron even took a rask when you think of the Boston Bruins but David Krejci goes back to his native Czech Republic to play so that's one big hole that the Bruins are going to have to fill and even though they re-signed Taylor Hall there to a multi-year deal Krejci who's been 
a mainstay there, defensive forward, a guy who's been a part of that fabric in being town for so long, now says goodbye. And I'm sure you're going to have a lot more in the days to come because after the draft and with the free agency period starting to die down a little bit, you would think the NHL will have a couple more days in the sun before it really quiets down until you get to training camp there in mid-September. So you had a lot of activity, not only in the NBA last week, but now with the NHL. And we'll continue to keep our eyes on that as we trudge through the month of August and get through this Sports Dead Zone Part 2. And the other sport that's going to take us through the Sports Dead Zone is the NFL as the exhibition season begins on Thursday night. Primetime NBC between the Cowboys and Steelers at the Hall of Fame game in Canton, Ohio. Remember, they were supposed to play this game last year. Obviously canceled due to COVID. You have the ceremony, which will take place Saturday, which will be epic. Because you have the 2020 class of last year. And compound that with the 2021 class of this year. Now last year, the two big ones were Troy Polamalu and Edron James. And this year was Peyton Manning, Charles Woodson, uh, missing another guy off the top of my head, which forgive me, but you also had another big mainstay who's in going into the hole in roller skates. So you have those two classes going in and then Polamalu who had come down with COVID a week prior, who is pretty much being quarantined. The Hall of Fame committee is going to do their best to get him there to Canton to be a part of the festivities. And that also includes Bill Cower. That also includes Alan Fanica. That also includes Jimmy Johnson. You have a ton of Hall of Famers that are going to go in on this weekend. As for the game itself, I know I should probably watch the first quarter or maybe the first couple of drives. But as you all know, people, if you listen to me long enough, the NFL preseason is a complete snooze fest. I just can't get into it. I don't care what people say. I don't care who posts on social media. All right, football season's back. All right, I'm ready for football. Are you ready for some football? I'm going to answer with a resounding no. And I get people going to say, Jay Reels, come on. Let's get into it. Stop being a spoil sport. Stop being the old guy, get off my lawn. That's has nothing to do with that. It's exhibition. Wake me up. September 12th, the opening games of the season. Forget about the Thursday night, Dallas, Tampa. I get it. That's the, that's the official beginning of the season. But to me, it's the first Sunday of the NFL season is the real season. Because that's when you're watching the ticker. That's where you're watching all the games. I know for the fantasy guys, they get wrapped up into that. Please, you could throw that on the other side of the world, if you ask me. I could care less. But with the exhibition season, means a lot of news that's coming up the pike here. I know you finally had the Jet quarterback signed, Zach Wilson, who a lot of people were wondering, hey, he was the last guy standing as far as the number one picks overall goes. And he signed on the dotted line, raring to go. But with the shield, as I like to call them, the big news of the last week is not Xavier Howard requesting a trade. And even though he's reported and he looks like he may stay on board, he feels like he's getting underpaid where he has his teammate Byron Jones, who they signed last year, five years, $82 million deal that he's getting shortchanged here. He had 10 interceptions, first time a corner, had that many interceptions in a season dating back to 2007, I believe, when Antonio Cromartie did that. But now I think he's come to his senses and realized that he may be, I guess, like ranked 10th as far as pay on the cornerback scale. But the guy isn't hungry. I mean, he's not out here singing for his supper. Let's just put it that way. But 
He's looks like he's going to be back in the mix there as far as Miami goes. It's not Aaron Rodgers. I don't want to hear it as far as that being a big story in the NFL off the field this past week. Him mulling retirement. The one thing I did like what he said in that press conference was that he was working on himself this offseason to better myself in a number of areas. Lots of growth in the process, which I'm sure maybe people are sick and tired of hearing, whether it's through him or some other people, maybe even Simone Biles, which you know I'm going to get to in a little bit. You know, trying to find that joy, that happiness off the field and to enjoy life. You know what that is, people, in a nutshell? In big giant quotations, mental health. That's what Aaron Rodgers was doing this offseason, trying to find that. And even though he didn't outright say it or spell it out for you, as he's done in the past with the relax, but that's what he did. And kudos for him trying to find his joy, his purpose, whatever it is in life, so that he could get himself right and ready for this upcoming season. Now, they reworked his contract to the point where pretty much this is going to be his last year in Green Bay. And we'll worry about 2022 next year. But he's part of the mix. I said it last week. He's going to be on the center come week one. A lot of people were surprised he reported this early. I was too. But was there a shock that he's going to be part of the Packers this upcoming year? No. So the biggest story of all, and I understand that, oh, Jay Reels, how could you compare Carson Wentz to Aaron Rodgers? Well, the Indianapolis Colts, who have pretty much built their team around this guy, knowing that they needed a quarterback after Phillip Rivers, and then with a defense that is pretty stout and arguably could take that next step to be the best defensive team in the sport, now they're not going to have their quarterback for 5-12 to 12 weeks as he had injured his foot on a rollout play to where at first they thought it could have been season ending, but he's going to be out anywhere between 6-12 to 12 weeks, so you're looking at pretty much, arguably, the first 8 weeks of the NFL season. And... Indianapolis, not to say that they were a team that had Super Bowl aspirations or a team that you figured that was going to come out of the South as they're going to go up against Tennessee. You figure that Houston and Jacksonville, obviously they're going to be light years behind those two guys. But I thought that was a big story because Wentz, with everything that happened in Philadelphia, him reuniting with his former offensive coordinator and Frank Reich now, who's the head coach of Indianapolis as it is, and for him to be out, where the backup right now, and I didn't even know because the first person you're going to think of is Jacoby Prissett, but the guy who is going to take over the reins of the quarterback position is Jacob Eason. So they went from Jacoby to Jacob, but definitely not a guy that a lot of people are going to be familiar with or is a household name, to say the least. So we'll see what happens there with the Colts as they march along through training camp and the prognosis and the recovery for Carson Wentz. And you had a couple of signings that were big, whether your name is Justin Houston. It's big in a sense. It's a one-year deal with the Ravens, but he tries to get a little bit of a pass rush on a team that does play well in the secondary and does have good defensive line help, but they do not have a pass rush, to say the least. So maybe Houston could revisit some of those days with the Chiefs. Hopefully not against Pittsburgh, of course. But... With that being said, Houston, part of the fabric there in Baltimore. And then Nick Chubb signs a three-year extension, $36 million with the Cleveland Browns. So they keep it within the AFC North with two big signings there. And that's pretty much what you got. I know Sean Payton was upset and disappointed with a one Michael Thomas not getting the ankle surgery sooner than later. It looks like Michael Thomas pulled 
a little bit of a Scottie Pippen back in 98. Remember when he didn't get the surgery, I believe on his knee. And therefore, you know, he wanted to get paid. So he says, I'm not going to rush my surgery and my recovery to come back to the team. And we saw how that unfolded. So Michael Thomas looked like he did a little bit of a Scottie Pippen power play on the Saints to where if he got the surgery done after the season or relatively right after, he would have been ready for training camp as it is right now. He is nowhere near that. So Peyton, this showed his displeasure through the media. Let's see how that relationship pans out as we get deeper into this preseason. But that's all you got. And the one thing, people, can I just throw this out there? And I'm going to spend literally 60 seconds on this. For ESPN and for some of these news outlets to even put a thought into these Madden 22 ratings, you got to find something else to do. Because for them to argue who should get the top Madden rating or, oh, why didn't this guy get a 99? Or, oh, this guy only got a 92? Or this quarterback is below that one in their Madden rating? Oh, my God. What is going on? And I go back to Madden when it was in its heyday in the 90s. I understand it's a different heyday now I get, but please, we're going to base Madden ratings on whether or not these players should be ranked higher than lower. Again, find something else to do, and that's all I'll spend my breath on that. And then lastly, the Olympics. As everybody knows, I'm not an Olympic guy. I haven't been into it. But I know the story last week of Simone Biles backing out due to the mental health issue that she's had, feeling that the weight of the world is on her shoulders when it comes to performing here in Tokyo, and understandably so. Here is this young woman who is already like preordained as the, not only the next great Olympian, but probably the most decorated at that. And listen, if it was too much for her, so be it. To hear from some of these pundits, and a lot of them haven't been in sports, a lot of them have been through the underground news cycles, I'll just call it that, and I'm not going to mention any names because I'm certainly not going to give them any shine. But if you read some of my tweets last week and you put the pieces together to that puzzle, connect the dots, you're going to know who I'm talking about. But for some of these classless and just downright sycophants who are looking to get the clickbait headline or soundbite to say that she's a disgrace to this country, to say that, oh, this is your job, you have to perform on this stage, and all this other nonsense? Please. What did I just say about Aaron Rodgers a few minutes ago? Now, granted, it was in an offseason, he did a reboot, a reset, and I'm sure he's still in the process of doing that. But let's just say, if Aaron Rodgers, in the middle of November on a Packers season that's going out to sea, let's say they're 5-6, and six, and he decides to hang it up. Yeah, people are going to criticize him to do it in the middle of the season, but if it's because of mental health, I can't take it anymore, you don't know what I've been going through, whatever, then hey, you got to back off. And I don't want to hear from these guys, these pundits, that are going to say, oh, that's just an excuse, or that's just a crutch, or a bailout, a cop-out for them to take the high road, or to just dismiss themselves of not fulfilling their duty as an NFL quarterback or as a gymnast or as the top guy on a baseball team or point guard on your basketball team? Nonsense. These people probably never picked up a basketball in their lives. These people probably never swung a bat to save their lives. 
And people can look at me with well, Jay Reels, you never played pro sports. Well, I got news for you. I could go on a field right now and play softball as if I was 25, 30 years old. That may not be saying much as a softball, but trust me, I got enough competitive fire and edge that I could go out there and play. Okay? So for these guys who are bashing the Simone Biles of the world, not only do they need to take a step back, they need to take a step out. Because for them to just, with this drivel, uh, I mean, please, stop. So that's what I'm going to say about that. I know you have Suni Lee winning the gold, who, that was a great story in its own right, and kudos to her. I haven't kept track of the golds. I know right now, I think they're in third place when it comes to the golds, although the U.S. overall has the most medals. Again, people, I'm not wrapped up in this. The basketball team, I know they've right the ship a little bit now. Okay, great. I couldn't even tell you who they beat recently, but that's neither here nor there. Caleb Dressel's been the big star, as well as Katie Ledecky winning all these medals here in swimming. I know you got a lot of track and field that's upcoming this week, which is going to be big. And then Simone Biles on the beam. She'll compete there for gold. So that goes to show you, for those people that were cursing her out last week, here she is back in the beam competition. So now what are they going to say? I mean, please. And I'm sure she didn't do it to appease those guys. So with that, and then you also had the women's team lose a shot of the gold as they were upset by Canada uh, yesterday. I was going to say today, but obviously with the time change and the difference. So the women's team of America, which they've been dominant as we've seen throughout and here losing to our neighbors of the North, I'm sure it was a bitter pill. So they're going to play for the bronze. I would think probably, what is it? Wednesday and then you'll have the final sometime after that or before that who knows I haven't followed the schedule again I'm just updating the latest and greatest and I understand I may not be saying too much when it comes to the Olympics for the Olympic fan that's out there but again I can't get wrapped up in this and here's the reason why I said this last week I'll say it again this coming Sunday when you have the closing ceremonies and everything is all said and done and wiped away whatever come back to me in a month and ask me how many medals did so-and-so win? Or how many medals total did the U.S. win? Then I'll rest my case. Because nobody's going to remember. That's just how it is. People are going to remember who won a World Series five years ago. People are going to remember who won a national title in football. People are going to remember who won the Super Bowl this past year. Is anyone going to remember who won the freestyle swimming or the backstroke or the I don't even know if they do the backstroke anymore it just goes to show or the butterfly at gunpoint these people are going to be able to answer it so that's the reason why I don't follow it because I have no interest and I just don't care with that let me get to my hero and zero of the week my hero of the week is going to Adam Silver and the NBA as They selected Terrence Clark, the 19-year-old kid who played at Kentucky, who was part of that horrific car accident in April in the L.A. area. Just a very touching moment to have Adam Silver up there on the podium to not only acknowledge the life of Terrence Clark, to know that he was going to be an NBA prospect throughout this process and to be drafted in the first round. Well, they had a touching moment with the mom his sister and brother as they walked onto the stage and for the NBA to do that, that spoke volumes and it moved me in watching that. So to the NBA, Adam Silver, you are my heroes of the week. 
And my zero of the week goes to Anna Kane, the wife of San Jose Sharks forward Evander Kane, who came out with these accusations over the weekend in reference to gambling. Evander Kane, her husband, supposedly, not only being a gambling addict, which I believe that's true, but for her posting on her Instagram story that, in quote, how does the NHL let a compulsive gambling addict still play when he's obviously throwing games to win money? Somebody needs to address this. And then she also added, can someone ask Commissioner Gary Bettman how they let a player gamble on his own games, bet and win with bookies, and on his own games? Well, Evander Kane has refuted that vigorously, saying that he never bet, never gambled on his team, never bet against his team, all that, and that he's in the process of going through a divorce. He's also said that she's mentally unwell. Certainly remains to be seen. We'll see how this all unfolds in the days and weeks to come. But as bitter as you may be in a situation where it comes to husband and wife, and it's none of our business, but for her to put that out there, throwing games and so on and so forth, I mean, that's something that the NHL right now, I'm sure they're working behind the scenes fast and furious. And I hope that that's not the case based on what I have seen and read from Evander Kane. Maybe that is not the case. And let's hope that is. But for Anna Kane to throw that out there, Unwell and not unwell? Please. And uh, not a good job on your part. You are my zero of the week. And that'll wrap it up. Episode 207. I appreciate you all for taking the opportunity to not only download, to stream, but to listen to what it is that I have to say about what's going on in the world of sports. Your contribution, as always, like I said at the top, to subscribe, rate, and review just so I could get the visibility of this podcast out there to those who aren't familiar with it. And throw me a few stars, throw me a review on wherever you get your podcast. I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate that. If you want to hit me up on any of my social media accounts, you could do so on Instagram, JReels, or the JReels Podcast, which is Strictly Sports. On Twitter, JReels1, just the number. On Facebook, the JReels Podcast. And also, the old-fashioned way, the Podcast at gmail.com. If you want to send me a question, comment, criticism, praise, whatever it may be, I'll be sure to follow up with you. And if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to www.patreon.com slash Podcast. That's P as in Paul, A-T as in Tom, R-E-O-N as in Nancy. By doing so, whatever you want to put forth will go to the production, will go to the website, the upkeep, the equipment, everything that has to do with putting this out week after week to bless you guys with my opinions, my analysis on everything that's happening in sports, as you well know. Again, if you want to do so, I thank you from the bottom of my heart because whether you do or do not know, this is why I love to talk about people. Sports has been a part of my life since birth. And the old theory, 10,000 hours, if you invest in something for that long, chances are you're going to master it. Well, I got that times three. So... I'm going to continue to pump these suckers out week in and week out because I love to share my thoughts, opinions, analysis, passion, everything that goes on in the world of the diamond, the ice, the gridiron, the hardwood, the golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, Peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.